0: This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity.
1: Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to today's Bright Focus chat, Diet and Gut Bacteria, Their Connection to, to AMD. I hope you'll find today a really interesting topic because, you know, we're all aware of vision health and we're all aware of the importance of diet. And uh, But today's really interesting because we're going to make the connection between diet and uh, and eye health, and I think a lot of us grew up watching uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons or hearing our parents or others say that carrots were were the key to to good vision health, and today we're going to learn that it's, uh, that statement may be true, but it's also a lot more, a lot more complicated, so just a couple housekeeping items, if today's your first time in a Bright Focus chat, welcome, and I'll tell you what we'll do today background, Bright Focus funds some of the top researchers in the world. These are scientists that are trying to find cures or better treatments for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. And we try to share the latest news from, from scientists and, and other experts with families that are impacted by these diseases. That's why we have a number of free publications and plenty of materials on our website, brightfocus.org. And today's Bright Focus chat is another way of sharing the latest, the latest news from the, from the world of research. Let me t- tell you a little bit about today's guest speaker. Uh, Dr. Sheldon Rowan holds a Ph.D. in genetics from Harvard University, and he's currently an assistant professor in the Department of Ophthalmology at Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston. And Dr. Rowan has been a, um, uh, a grantee, he's currently a grantee in our Macular Degeneration Research Program, and he's doing some really interesting work that looks at the interaction between diet, age, and risk-related macular degeneration, specifically taking a look at how gut bacteria affects the likelihood of, of, getting, um, of getting AMD. So, Dr. Rowan, um, thank you very much for, for joining us today. And I just want to just start off just um, how did you end up doing what you do? Did you always want to be a scientist? Yeah, I
0: think I probably did always want to be a scientist. Um, I started doing research right out of high school. And um, I, I would say for the most part, I've been motivated by this you know, passionate interest in understanding like basic questions about life and how we came to be. And for a long time, I was studying uh, developmental biology, which is, you know, about this question how do we start at this simple one cell egg and develop all of the complex features of the, of the human body? Um, and that kind of took me into eye research, which I've been doing for about 20 years. <clears throat> And I got to a point in my research where I wanted to you know, take all of these fundamental discoveries we've made about how the eye forms, how the eye functions, and start asking about what goes wrong in disease.
1: Well, that's great. It's, a, it's great that your lifelong uh, interests have really uh, coming, coming through to help, help millions of people. And I'm to start off with gut bacteria. I think this is one of those phrases that, You hear about in the newspaper, online, magazines, you hear about gut bacteria, you hear about microbiome, but I don't think too many of us actually know that much about it. So could you tell us what is gut bacteria? Sure.
0: Um, It's funny because if we had this conversation 10 years ago, you would think I was crazy talking about gut bacteria. Um, But it's this idea that there's kind of an organism that we share our bodies with, um, which are these countless numbers of bacteria that live inside us, um, and there's populations of bacteria all over our body, uh, but most of them end up getting concentrated in the colon um, within our digestive system. And so people have been interested in this question. First of all, why are they there? Are they just kind of bystanders? Are they um, you know, opportunistic organisms that feed off of our waste products, or do they have an important role in our health and well-being? And among the things we've discovered are kinds of approximately the numbers of bacteria that live inside of us, um, which is at least as many cells as are in our own body. Um, yet they make, you know, hundreds or thousands of times more genes than we do, um, and it turns out that they are pretty critical for our health and well-being. So um, they do regulate aspects of our of our overall um, homeostasis. So, for example, they regulate metabolism. They control um, inflammation within our bodies. And they're really responsive to our environment. The food that we eat really gets directly um, translated into a message from those gut bacteria. And then the gut bacteria signal to other parts of our body, um, helping things function properly. And in turn, we need to nourish those gut bacteria as well to maintain optimal health.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's that's amazing. Yeah. And so, from your research, how does the gut bacteria affect um, the eyes and the brain?
0: Yeah. That's a that's a really interesting question. Even how we got to our research. So we've been we started the research looking at the role of diet in age-related macular degeneration. And I have been carrying out animal studies um, where we feed mice different kinds of diets and then look at what happens to the eye and do any of these diets affect the risk for age-related macular degeneration? And we did really find this strong dietary connection where if we fed our animals a high glycemic diet, um, coupled with aging, our mice were getting macular degeneration-like disease. Obviously, they're not people. They don't actually get macular degeneration. Um, But if we fed the mice a low glycemic diet, they were protected from this disease. And we really wanted to start answering this question about the mechanisms. And we decided that we should probably take a look at the gut bacteria in these experiments um, with the idea that what we eat is going to be affecting those bacteria. Um, maybe they're affecting the outcomes in terms of the eye. And so when we started to do that analysis, we realized, first of all, that the gut bacteria were hugely different between these diets. And then we also came to realize that, um, that the gut bacteria themselves seemed to... Um, possibly give signals directly to the eye in regulating the health of the retina. And so we could actually relate different kinds of bacteria in our animal studies with their risk for macular degeneration.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And when you mentioned a, a glycemic, you mentioned um, high and low glycemic. Um, is that related to sugar or how would, how would you uh, describe um, uh, glycemic, either high or low? Yeah, that's a great question.
0: So um, when we think of the glycemic, we think of what the body does in response to the diet and how much glucose ends up getting released into the bloodstream. So, um, and we often think about carbohydrates um, in this context. So, for example, high glycemic food, which might be like a very processed cornstarch, would be rapidly digested and converted into glucose in the body, which would then cause an increase in blood glucose levels. Um, And in contrast, a low-glycemic food, um, a great example is, say, like whole wheat pasta is like a fairly low-glycemic food. Um, It takes a much longer time for the body to digest it and release that glucose into the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. And so even though all of these carbohydrates eventually get converted into these simple carbohydrates, it's really, we think about the rate at which that happens.
1: So, Dr. Rowan, um, we mentioned that the glycemic and the the carbohydrate is... Maybe is this too simple of a question, but is sugar bad for the eyes?
0: No, I, I, I would never want to say that sugar itself is bad for the eyes. Uh, we know from a good body of research that the eye absolutely needs sugar, and in particular it needs the glucose um, that sugar gets broken down into. In um, particular, the photoreceptor cells in the eye, the ones that sense the light, they are extremely metabolically active, and they absolutely depend on glucose. Um, so the eye does need And the brain in general, it needs glucose to function properly. Um, What we get concerned about is um, hyperglycemia, so this concept of high blood sugar. And not, you know, the high blood sugar that happens after you've had like maybe a candy bar, but this idea that through your diet um, there may be chronically high levels of blood sugar. Um, That's where we get into trouble in the eye. And so, a few different cell types in the eye are very sensitive to the levels of glucose, um, especially the vasculature cells in the eye and the support cells in the back of the eye, the retinopigment epithelium.
1: That's, no, it's just, thank you and for, that, for clarifying that. And I know that diets vary uh, greatly around the world. Um, uh, so, I was wondering you know, when you think about your research, is, do rates of AMD also vary around the world? And is there, is there a connection? between those two those two
0: points? Yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I would have guessed, if you asked me this, that yes, there would probably be really different rates, the same way that you kind of see different rates for heart disease in different parts of the yeah. world. Um, but I actually think um, when people have done these prevalence studies and looking at rates of AMD across different parts of the world, um, they haven't seen a huge difference. Um, what we know is that ancestry matters, so people from European ancestry seem to have a slightly higher rate of age-related macular degeneration, but even parts of the world where you might expect the rates to be lower because of a specific kind of diet. Um, so take, for example, Mediterranean countries, and we, we often think about you know the Mediterranean diet as being healthy for your heart, for your cardiovascular system. And, it, and that's true, and it also reduces or it's associated with lower rates of age-related macular degeneration. But the, the sad reality is that even in those parts of the world that have the Mediterranean diet that you know, invented this, um, they're eating a pretty westernized diet right now, um, and they're not seeing lower rates of macular degeneration. And places where you might expect lower rates of macular degeneration because people eat a lot of oily fishes, and we know that having more fish consumption can help lower your rates of age-related macular degeneration. It's the same kind of thing. We don't actually see a lower prevalence in those countries that are traditionally large fish eaters. So there's a lot of different factors at play in that.
1: Yeah. No, no, it's interesting. I know that, um, you know, there's environment and others. And, um, and Dr. Rowan, you mentioned whole wheat pasta a minute ago. Um, are, just, you know, kind of in general, what are some of the best foods to, um, uh, for, for eye health? For eye health? Um, Yeah, so
0: of course, um, we we think that whole grains are probably going to be more beneficial than processed grains, Um, but the the ones that you want to turn back to are your multicolored fruits and vegetables. Um, Without question, um, green leafy vegetables are really eye-healthy foods that are high in carotenoids, so ones that have a lot of color in them. Think about red peppers. Think about yellow peppers. Um, those kinds of foods are really eye-healthy. Um, eating fish um, is very eye-healthy. And then um, some of the other classes of foods are ones that have um, other kinds of carotenoids called, um, known as lutein and zeaxanthin. And those can include um, foods like spinach or collard greens. Um, and even some kinds of seafoods can be um,
1: high sources of those as well. Yeah, well, that's, and, um, some, that's uh, some great sp- specifics there. Um, in general, the, for the, some of the foods, you uh, particularly the vegetables, is there a difference between cooked versus raw in terms of the uh, nutritional and eye health consequences and, and benefits? Yeah, the, the
0: nutrition is definitely a little different. So we know that when you cook vegetables, um, you increase the availability of certain nutrients. Um, So a great example is beta-carotene and lycopene. If you think about um, cooked tomatoes definitely have higher amounts of lycopene, and we we think that lycopene is probably a pretty important nutrient. Um, But at the same time, cooking those foods can break down other heat-sensitive nutrients like vitamin C and folate. So there's a bit of a trade-off. But I I don't think there's a concept that one is better than the other. Um, Whichever one you're willing to eat, is the one that people should prefer, you know. There's there's, there's, there's (laughs) certain foods that I cannot eat if they're not cooked. I mean, like kale, to me, tastes so much better when it's cooked properly. Um, You know, my feeling is why not both, you know. Cook the foods, the vegetables that you think taste better that way, but also keep raw vegetables in there as well. And, you know, I, I think everything in nutrition is about balance.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. Whatever gets it on your plate on a, on a regular basis. And, you know, you mentioned that the change in gut bacteria and, you know, some of the negative consequences. Do those happen quickly or is this a, something that's over, more over an extended period of time? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think
0: we're still trying to figure out um, how flexible our bodies are um, and our gut bacteria are to different dietary changes. Um, so what we know is if you make a big change in your diet that within you know, the order of days to weeks, you can see um, changes in your gut bacteria. And, and sometimes those changes in the gut bacteria can be associated with different health parameters as well, um, for example, your insulin levels. So some of those changes can happen quickly, um, but at the same time, the, body, the body's microbiome, especially within the gut, has a certain resilience. So this interesting study was done um, a year or two ago where they had people eat either a completely white bread or a very whole grain sourdough bread. Um, so one being very high glycemic one being very low glycemic and they looked at the microbiota to see what happened. They were kind of expecting that one change, um, to make a big impact. And the surprising thing to them is that they found that the microbiome was actually very resilient and robust to the person, uh, based on what it was before those treatments. But even so, um, the different kinds of breads did affect some health parameters. So That's interesting. I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of short-term and long-term. Um, definitely adhering to a healthier dietary pattern is going to be better for you in the long-term, but you might not notice any short-term change, and people shouldn't be discouraged, because you know the same way that the processes that go awry that lead to, say, macular degeneration, they take decades to happen. Um, it may also take decades to reestablish a really robust and diverse and well-functioning gut microbiome. So people shouldn't be discouraged if you know, they try to switch to a healthier diet and they don't think things are getting better within a few weeks.
1: Yeah, it's no, interesting. I think we all understandably want to want to see immediate change, immediate impact of, of changes that we make. We've got a few questions uh, from, from our listeners. Um, uh, Dr. Ron Mary from Illinois um, was wondering, um, is Probiotics? Or do they factor into this into this topic at all? Yeah,
0: probiotics are, are definitely a factor in here. Um, it, it's hard to give a. There's not a clear consensus about um, how probiotics are going to affect people. I would say that there's a decent number of studies that definitely show that probiotics um, can affect the bacteria, especially the ones that you're eating um, within your gut. And in some in some clinical trials, people have found improvements um, with certain kinds of probiotics, Um, but there have been a lot of very disappointing trials as well and really well-controlled trials um, that also look at probiotics with a clear expectation um, where they haven't made any significant changes. So I think with, with probiotics, I think there are Okay to try out, especially you know, in consultation with, with your physician. Um, but I don't think they're going to be a quick fix necessarily, or at least anytime soon. I think we have a lot more engineering that needs to be done, and we do need a lot more research to know that answer for sure.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting. And another question we got uh, just got a minute ago. I think it's interesting. The the, the diet uh, preferred diet that you you talk about in the scientific back, you know. Um, Research that backs that up. Uh, does does any of that prevent macular degeneration from happening, or do you think this is more of a of a reducing or delaying? Or I was wondering, you know, kind of on which end of this does it work, or or both?
0: Yeah, that that's a that's a great question. I would say that um, that when we think about the, a specific dietary intervention, we're only looking in terms of either so prevention. Or maybe we're looking at progression from an early form of the disease to a later form of the disease. Um, so I'm not aware of, um, of anything that's actually shown that um, it, you can reduce the severity of a late form of disease with a dietary change. Um, but for example, in some of our studies, we see both the idea of prevention, so we see lower rates of early age-related macular degeneration, and we also see effects on the progression from early to late macular degeneration. And what I think is encouraging about that is, obviously, you know, prevention is where you want to get at. You don't want people to even have to be thinking about, I have early macular degeneration. Oh, no, is it going to progress? Um, and this is, this is a disease that occurs fairly late in life. So, you know, thinking about buying even a few years can actually have a big impact on, um, with that person's experiences through their life with the disease even if they do get it. So I'm yeah. a huge fan of prevention and I do think that diet is going to be a mechanism for that.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I think that that um I think that segues well into a question. Uh, Judy from California uh mentions that um if you're either gl- uh you know gluten um or lactose free, um how, how does that impact, you know, get, getting the the type of whole grains and other um other products that you, that you mentioned?
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so happy that, that this question came up because um, obviously you can eat a terrific diet. You know, lactose-free diets shouldn't have any limitations. We can, um, you know, dairy is probably an important part of a, of a good well-balanced diet, and it's pretty easy um, to get lactose-free dairy products. Um, now, gluten-free diets are a little more complicated because there's clearly... A lot of people that are suffering from either gluten intolerance or celiac disease that have to be eating these diets. And they have to be paying a lot of attention to food labels and what they're eating. And I I do have a concern about some gluten free products because the easiest way to make something gluten free is to overprocess it. Um, And it's easy to go to a supermarket and find, you know, go on your shelf and find gluten free products. but whether those are actually very good for you or not is another question. I think there's ways that you can make gluten-free foods that still use whole grains and that still you know, contain good amounts of fiber and protein and haven't been stripped of all these important nutrients. But there are a lot of manufactured gluten-free products out there that are like that. And um, I think anyone eating a gluten-free diet should be thinking really deeply about these questions of, you know, what am I, am I losing anything out of my food and what can I be doing um, to make sure that I'm maintaining a, a healthy diet that's gluten-free? Um, and so, you know, the things I would look for are fiber especially. if If you see a gluten-free product and it has a good amount of fiber as much as you would expect in the non-gluten-free version, then it's probably fine. But, you know, when you start seeing carbohydrate labels that say like 24 grams of carbohydrates and zero or one gram of fiber, I would be concerned that it may be over-processed.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I was wondering, you know, you or your colleagues in, in that look at uh, impact of diet on, on vision research, have you ever seen anything about people who are either vegetarian or vegan? Does, does that, has there been anything, you know, that, that's shown any uh, increase or decrease with folks who have um, those type of diets?
0: Yeah, um, I I think we need to be paying more attention to these questions about um, all kinds of different dietary patterns. Um, I don't know if there's any conclusive research about the risk for macular degeneration. Um, There is a decent body that says that vegetarians and vegans probably have lower rates of cataracts. So I've thought about whether you might expect um, a vegan or vegetarian diet to have a positive consequence on eye health, you know, for macular degeneration. And to me, this is kind of a trade-off because on the one side, um, most vegetarians are eating a lot more, you know, green leafy vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, red and yellow vegetables, you know, all these kinds of things that we want people to be eating in their diet. So they're giving them critical nutrients. Um, but on the other hand, um, you are also missing important nutrients that we do get from fish and meat and from poultry. Um, and we don't know for sure that, you know, which ones are better than others. Um, All we can say is that, you know, maintaining a really well-balanced diet is the best way to go. So, um, you know, people that are vegetarians should be sure that they're getting the full range of of nutrients, you know, either work with a physician or a dietitian to do that.
1: Sure. No, I think that's 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 great advice. And kind of related to that, a number of our listeners, uh, when they're um, at their eye care professional, uh, may hear the the person mention uh, uh, an acronym AREDS. A R E D S. A R E D S. I was wondering, um, is that you know people have probably heard that from their doctors or in previous chats? Is that connected to to a lot of the the points you're making today? I think it very well could be. Um, So what's
0: fascinating about AREDS just In case anyone isn't sure about what erits has, it's it's a high dose of vitamins and minerals um, taken as a supplemental form. So it has, um, let's see, it has vitamin C, um, zinc, copper, vitamin E, and a couple of those pigments I mentioned before, lutein and zeaxanthin, in the latest generation. Um, And what we know about what ARIDS can do is ARIDS can definitely um, reduce the progression of an intermediate to advanced age-related macular degeneration. Um, It's about 25% reduction, which is a really significant reduction. Um, But what's what's so fascinating to me about ARIDS is I don't think we know exactly how it works. Um, We know that some of those... um, some of those vitamins and minerals in there are working as antioxidants, um, and there's no question that um, that's part of their mechanism of action, but it's not everything they do. Um, you know, for example, the zinc on its own also reduced progression for macular degeneration. So there's the idea that some of these are working together to maybe enhance the function of proteins or prevent damage that's related to macular degeneration. Um, but, you know, just on this topic of eye health and the gut, um, you know, there's no reason why arids might not have an effect on gut bacteria. And I think this is, this is a great area for exploration in the future, is actually asking the question, what happens to your gut bacteria when you take arid supplementation? And is it possible that some of these nutrients that are being provided through arids might actually be changing um, gut bacteria? So, yeah the yeah. short answer is it works, but the long answer is we 're not entirely sure how
1: yeah well no that's great, and I think in, in, you know, your answer kind of underscores the importance of uh vision research that we've we 've yet to we 've yet to explore and and, and uh doctor, and we have time for a, a few more uh, uh a few more questions, and what I wanted to ask you about is clinical trials. I think that similar to, to what we talked about at the outset about gut bacteria and microbiome, I think people know. The concept of clinical trials—they, they, they, you know—it sounds familiar. But I know participation rates uh, can be pretty low. I was wondering, do, do you do you or your colleagues do clinical trials on uh, nutrition-related issues, and sort of how do how do you know how do these trials work, and how can how can someone help advance the the field of research? I I would love to talk about
0: clinical trials, especially in nutrition research. I think it's just a huge area of interest. Um, so I'm. I work at a place called the Human Nutrition Research Center on Aging, and we actually do carry out a large number of clinical trials um, looking at nutrition. Um, and in the case of our center, we're not actually ourselves doing clinical trials um, that look at vision as an outcome, but we've been participants in a number of different clinical trials. And so there's a few different you know, flavors of clinical trials out there. Um, some of them are what we refer to as observational where we just try to get large numbers of people and get information about their health and information about their diets, what they eat, how much they eat, how regularly they eat it. Um, And oftentimes we might want to get a patient's blood sample so we could actually measure some of those um, components coming from the diet. And then it's kind of a sit and wait. You, You kind of follow these patients. In some cases, we've been doing these with groups for decades and ask, what are the rates of macular degeneration? What are the rates of heart disease, for example? And then you could go back and try to piece together um, what different individuals had that may have contributed to a lower or higher risk for a certain kind of disease. Um, So those clinical trials are really powerful in terms of they have huge numbers um, and they have a lot of outcomes. Um, But they're not always well controlled, for example, people can say, oh, I eat an amazing diet, I'm, you know, I've been a vegetarian, I only eat salad and lean proteins, but, you know, there's no, there's nothing that stops them from, you know, secretly going to a pub and having burger and fries every day, so some of it is taking, you know, things at people's word, Um, so then we have other kinds of clinical trials, and we do these regularly where um, they're more interventional trials, and, What I mean by that is where we'll take different groups of people. In one group, we may give them just a placebo. So if it's a food, we may give them a food lacking a certain nutrient. And then another group is the the experimental group where we would then give them, say we want to find out are blueberries going to be beneficial to eye health. Um, So what we might do is we might give one group, blueberry powder in their diet and another group, a powder that looks just like blueberry powder but that doesn't have, you know, it wasn't from blueberries and doesn't have those kinds of nutrients in them. And then we usually do a shorter term um, study on those individuals and we try to look at things called biomarkers which are, um, you know, for example, lipoproteins in your body or cholesterol, um, blood glucose, things like that um, to find out if they had any effect on the body. So obviously, um, we're interested in all kinds of aspects of nutrition. I would love to actually be able to do a direct study where we test the, you know, people's glycemic index diets and look at whether that affects the rates of macular degeneration. But it, it's hard to do as kind of a direct um, trial, you know, a randomized trial where people don't know which diet we're going to give them. Um, so you end up having to kind of rely on observational data
1: to get that information. Yeah, yeah, no, no that's interesting. And Dr. We're just probably down to just one or two more questions, but, we'd, um, you know, when we think about uh, supplements, nutrition supplements, we had someone uh, call in to wonder, um, you know, fish oil uh, versus fish oil supplements. Like, are those, is one just as good as the other, or should somebody try to have the actual food in, instead of a supplement? yeah I, I think about
0: this a lot um we know that fish um is protective against macular degeneration this has been demonstrated in a number of studies but we've never been able to succeed in getting um that same finding in the form of a supplementation so whether it's um you know taking kind of a, a broad like cod liver oil or um or specifically formulated um um supplements that contain, for example, um, the major like DHA and EPA, um, which we think of these like critical omega-3 fatty acids, Um, we haven't really been able to succeed in any of the supplementation studies. So my hunch is that it's probably a lot of different foods in the fish that work together. And it may be that, you know, omega-3 fatty acids are Really important, but they're only important when they work together with another compound. Or you know, there's the major ones are the DHA um, and EPA, but there are other forms, um, especially in a complex food like a fish, um, that may be working to give you that benefit. So I I feel like kind of with supplements in general, if you can get those nutrients from the whole foods, you're always going to be better off. Um, you know, except in the case of arids where you get a dose of vitamins and minerals that go way beyond what you could actually get from food. Um, People are probably better off getting those nutrients from the food than than the supplements. You know, the exception being, for example, like vitamin D if you live way up north. um, You know, in the wintertime, it's going to be really hard to keep up high enough vitamin D levels. And there are certain people with genetic conditions, that need to be taking supplements, but in general, you're you're going to get better results with the whole food than the supplement because there's just so many other things in those foods that are contributing to the effect as
1: well. Yeah, well, that's great, great advice. And with that, Dr. Ron, I think one of the the, the interesting things we've taken away today is just the connection between. Uh, diet and the eye health and, and brain health and it's been this has been just a really uh enlightening conversation for me and i think for our listeners so my final question for you dr rowan you, you mentioned you've been doing vision research for about two decades um what do you think like what have you you know what do you think about the progress that vision research has made and when you look to the next couple decades uh are you are you hopeful about uh, research toward uh, better understanding and treating and and someday curing macular degeneration. So it's a big-picture question for you. Sure. No, I I think... um
0: macular degeneration is going to be one of these diseases that we make amazing inroads in. And it's probably one that we've made some of the best progress in, especially over, you know, since I started doing this research, um, it's just amazing what we can do for patients with wet macular degeneration. So um, so my feeling is, you know, for, for people that have wet forms of macular degeneration, um, we're, in a, we're in a great place right now. I think we have treatments that can help. And I think the more that we have experience with doing those, kind of seeing what are the complications, which are patients that are seeing the most improvements versus those that don't see improvements, um, I think we're going to figure this out. Um, I'm, you know, The really bigger challenge is probably how do you treat dry macular degeneration? And, and that's been a little more of a mixed bag. There have been a lot of good drug leads that have looked really promising but haven't made it um, onto the market yet. Um, and I think we're getting close. I would say, um, my, my feeling is that the rate-limiting step for dry macular degeneration is our understanding of what happens in the disease process. So we can really think more cleverly and specifically about how to approach that disease. Um, and it's taken, it's taken a really long time for us to get there. Um, but I think we, we are getting to that point. We have amazing animal models. We have the ability um, through stem cell research to now directly work with human cells um, like the ones in the eye that you would never be able to get access to and do experiments on. Um, and we can now start to really identify um, targets and you know, hopefully drugs that are going to be able to treat um, dry macular degeneration. Um, I can say from doing experimental work that we are you know, every year it just seems to be like incredible advances. Um, When I go to the annual meeting um, for ophthalmology research, um, it's amazing how many um, clinical trials are in these early stages of just, do they work in our models? And how can we start translating those into people? And so I don't know if there's a breakthrough in one or two years, but, there's almost certainly going to be a breakthrough. And it's, it's going to be thanks to, you know, decades of basic research. And, um, and, and you know, obviously that support depends on organizations like Bright Focus. So I'm, I'm really hopeful. If I didn't think there was anything we could do, I would be kind of depressed working in my field. Um, from my perspective, I'm amazed at what our nutritional interventions have been able to do. Um, so we could take, for example, in our animal studies um, – We've been able to completely um, prevent mice from advancing to macular degeneration by switching their diets, um, even fairly old mice, um, which I didn't think was going to be possible. So, so I'm most enthused in my own research about the idea of prevention and using, you know, diet, using other understandings to do that. But I even think for people that have dry forms of macular degeneration, there's a lot of exciting progress to be made in the future and then your
1: future. Well this well this is great. Your 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 optimism is uh is is infectious, it's contagious. So we really you know we, at Bright Focus we've been very proud to to um to work with you on, on a lot of this research and it's it's really it's really exciting and I just want to thank you for for so much of what you what you shared today. I think it, I think you're exactly right. It Gives people a sense of hope that they're that the power uh uh, that a diet can can have um, over your health and, and the things you can do about it. I think it really, uh, it, it's, you know, it's a very very informative chat. And, and um, so I just want to thank you. And to our listeners, thank you very much for, for joining us. So Dr. Rowan, on behalf of, uh, of our listeners, on behalf of Bright Focus, I just want to thank you very much for, for being so generous with your time and so, so specific and, and, and so helpful to all of us.
0: Thank you so much, Michael. This has been a lot of fun to do, and
1: and thanks for everyone that called in with questions. That was great. All right, well, uh, thank you very much, and this concludes today's Bright Focus Chats. Thanks.
0: The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.